Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Today on the family-friendly version of Real Ghost Stories Online with Harper and myself, most of us at one time or another have been met with the unexpected information of a loved one's passing. What happens when you travel to the deceased's home only to find they're still very much there? Not alive, but still there. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown, and quite possibly, the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. And it is. Happy weekend, everybody. 855-853-4802 is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost stories with us. Write in at realghoststoriesonline.com, or if you really like the program, you want to keep us on the air, it is what we do for a living. This is not a hobby. This is my job. And it's now your job, too, Harp. Uh, yep. But uh, if you want to support the program and keep us on the air, it's a listener-funded show. Sign up at ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash Stories. $5 a month gets you access to all the bonus content. We get a, You get a brand new EPP, Extra Podcast Person is what that stands for. Bonus episode every week exclusively for you with our best ghost stories. You get our archive of stories. You get our archive of EPP episodes. You get our ebook, our audiobook, both Amazon bestsellers, uh, all of them right there, all included. Five bucks a month. Check it out. Ghostpodcast.com or Patreon.com. Support the program. Keep us on the air. We cannot do this thing without you. Uh, it is the weekend version of the program. That is the family friendly version, as you've probably come to figure out now. Tony and Harper Bruski uh, with you on this fine day. And how are you? I am doing great. I'm actually very excited to. Um, to get into the stories, but before we do that, mm-hmm. um, I have started my own show. Well, we're working on it. You're, it, yeah. it, it's not launched yet. It's not launched yet, but we're working on it. We are working on it. Uh, you want to talk about what it's called? <sighs> What's it? I'm so bad at remembering things. You're not good at being put on the spot. I'm the same way. My mind just like blanks. It's called Cautionary Tales with Harper. Yeah. And this is a show that that dives into, well, you guessed it, Cautionary Tales. Um, and and I'll, I'll play the intro in just a moment. We've been sitting here for the last hour developing the show uh, and putting our music together and our intro together and all that. And then later in the week, we're going to record our first episode and then get a whole bunch of them put together and then... Uh, launch it uh, coming up probably towards the end of summer, uh, towards mid to late August is when it will launch. Um, but give an example of of a cautionary tale, Harper. Like when, when somebody says it's a cautionary tale, what comes to your mind? What what exactly is that? For um, For an example, I would say like a sign that says warning, um, falling apart bridge. Mm-hmm. And then this person and someone 
goes onto the bridge and it falls apart and survives it, but gets eaten by bears. Yeah, when they go down the river. Yeah. And then the bears. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you have the caution warning that's ignored uh, and then something happens to the individual unexpected. Um, And there's so many of those things in life and the world, uh, even various versions of a story like that. Um, So that's what the podcast is going to be all about. I'm really excited about it. Here's a little taste uh, of the intro that we've been working on that uh, you'll be hearing very soon when this podcast launches and we'll tell you when to start following it and all that. But Harper will uh, be the host of this show. I will be the co-host on the show. And Harper is going to guide us through some uh, pretty interesting stories of cautionary tales. And this is the intro for that new podcast. Cautionary tales, stories that are passed down or around. But are they always true? Do we really know their true meaning or intent? This is the podcast where we dive into cautionary tales superstitions, mysteries, and more to discover the truth behind the tale. This is Cautionary Tales with Harper. So that's going to be the new podcast that we are working on. I hope you guys are excited. If you follow me on Instagram, you can see the graphic uh, for the podcast that uh, has been created. Uh, I'm at Tony Bruski, B-R-U-E-S-K-I. And uh, we'll have more on that in the coming weeks as we get uh, closer and closer to its launching. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. So am I. Cool. Be your very first show that is yours. I'm the co-host. And uh, yeah. So anyway, that's what we've been working on. Uh, so stay tuned for more information on that uh, as we uh, we get it up and running. Our phone number here on this show is 855-853-4802 to share your real ghost stories with us or write it on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Let's go to our first story of today. It says, I've grown up with the paranormal my entire life. My family tends to be more on the sensitive side of things, and we all have a lot of stories, a little background. I personally have and continue to experience everything from feelings. This is a constant thing, a matter of just being more aware of things in the environment that are not things that everyone can sense, to seeing apparitions, communication and dreams, premonitions, and even a reoccurring dream that has been ongoing since I was around four years old, only to find out later in my mid-20s that my mom has been having this exact same dream her whole life. We used to have conversations in our sleep when we shared bedrooms as kids. Imagine being our mother coming home from work and watching a full-on conversation unfold between your four children all completely in our sleep. Across the hallway, I might add, there were four of us between two bedrooms. Naturally, none of us had any memory of it when we woke up. As adults, it is now silly things, for example. I've called my sisters up to ask her if she's ever seen a particular movie I was just watching. Only her response to be, I was literally just texting you that. You should watch that movie. Another one would be me texting my sister. We all live in different states saying, dude, I haven't talked to you and insert or talked to insert a friend's name here in a long time. Have you? Her response being funny. I'm actually on the phone with him right now. I'll call you when I'm done. Things like that. They happen all the time. 
We also tend to have a simple thought about a person or even just briefly bringing them up in conversation only to have them text or call as this is happening. Many people are sensitive people throughout my family. My great-grandmother on my mom's side was a medium as well as my dad's aunt on his mom's side. I'll share with you one story today. It was the night my great-grandmother, the medium, died. I was extremely fortunate to know and have an awfully close relationship with my great-grandparents. Hardworking, genuine, humble people. They were the last generation of my family who has been ranchers in southern New Mexico for many generations. My great-grandmother Mimi had been battling lung cancer for a while and had been in the hospice care at home for some time. It was rough seeing her deteriorate in front of my own eyes so fast, and it became my first real experience with the death of someone I loved dearly. It was October 25th of 2000 when she died. At the time, we all lived in the same town in New Mexico. I was taking a shower around 9 p.m. It was a school night. I was around nine years old at the time. I remember stepping out of the shower and still in a towel when my mom knocked on the door and said, get dressed, we're going to Mimi and Papa's. I knew what that meant. She died. My mom was obviously upset but was trying to hold herself together for us. She was incredibly close to her. I still remember the exact outfit I put on. Ugly, paint-stained, teal-colored sweats, plain white shirt, these ugly brown slip-on clogs. I remember being somewhat embarrassed looking like trash going to her house, but I was in such a hurry, I just grabbed the first things on the top of my laundry basket. When I get to the house and I peek in the bedroom she was in, even though my mom did not want me to, I wanted to see her. I remember being so surprised at what she looked like. I'd never seen someone who was deceased before, just lifeless and empty. I went outside and hugged my grandma, Mimi's daughter, and my mother's mom, and eventually broke down. Eventually, we went home, and I was an absolute wreck that night. My mom told me I could sleep on the couch and watch TV. She was letting us stay home from school the next day. My other sisters slept in their rooms. They were holding it together much better than I was. Our house was a double-wide trailer that had an open layout. Living room, dining room, kitchen was one big open room. There was a short divider, however, between the living room and dining room, the kitchen sharing the space of the dining room with an island counter in the middle. We had a love seat that was against the divider, and adjacent to that was a fireplace with a little clock on the mantel. Across the fireplace was the wall, where the bigger sofa laid against. And this is where I camped out for the night. At the end of the sofa, where my head was lying, was the doorway of my mom's bedroom, who always slept with her door open. Above my head on the wall was the light switch for the living room. I eventually cried myself to sleep that night around midnight or so. Suddenly, something snapped me out of my sleep and I sat straight up on the couch. My first instinct was to look at the clock on the fireplace, a little past 1.30 a.m. From where I was sitting, I'm facing the love seat and can see straight over that divider and into the dining room and kitchen. Well, lo and behold, I was not alone. In the love seat sat two figures, off-white in color with a translucent slightly creamy-looking texture, almost like skim milk. However, they're incredibly detailed. I can see every strand of hair, every wrinkle in their skin, the fabric of their clothes, everything. Just no real color. I can even see the age spots on their hands and faces. I knew them, though. It was my great-great-grandparents, Mimi's parents, my grandma, Sabre, and my grandpa, Albert. I have seen a ton of pictures of them. 
They were hanging in Mimi and Papa's house, my grandma's house, and my mother's photo albums as well. There was no mistaking them. They sat there staring at me. Sabre was resting her chin on her hand with one leg crossed over, wearing a dress with an apron over it and dark shoes like old flats, and her legs looked a little strange in texture, which made me think she may have been wearing nylons. Such a strange detail that I remember distinctly. Albert was also sitting with one leg crossed, but was twirling his fingers in his hair. Dark clothes, however, I did not recall his outfit in such detail as I do with Sabre's. I remember not feeling scared at all. I looked away for a second, though, and noticed in the kitchen behind the island counter a figure made of the same milky substance with zero features. I could not tell if it was male or female at all. It was literally a cylinder shape with an oval where the head would be. That's it. I could not see it from the waist down. Both the divider and the island counter were blocking my view. It was moving slowly, circling the island counter. I could sense that whatever this figure was, it was lost. That's all I got from it. Again, I was not scared at the moment. I was just super confused. Then I think reality must have set in from what I saw because I suddenly felt panic and flipped the light switch on above my head. Everyone was gone. I felt like I could not breathe and became overwhelmed with emotion. I tried to calm myself down. I left the light on and laid down and I cried myself to sleep again. Fast forward an hour, I woke up again and the lights were off. The clock said 2.30 now. Sabre and Elbert are back in the same spot doing the same thing and the figure is also back circling slowly in the kitchen. This time I turned the light on right away. Everyone was gone. I eventually fell back asleep and woke up one more time. This time, I don't know what time it was, but I do remember it was getting a little light outside, so it must have been around 6.30 or so. The same scene is going on. Lights are off and they're sitting on the couch looking at me. Figure in the kitchen slowly making its way around the island counter. I started, uh, stared for a little while this time and I felt warm and comforted by Sabre and Elbert. I then turned the light on and they were gone. I finally fell asleep for good. The next morning my mom wakes me up to get ready to go to Mimi's house and meet the rest of the family. In the car, she asked me why I kept turning the lights on. She got zero sleep since every time I was turning the lights on, it was waking her up because it was flooding her bedroom with light. She kept getting up to turn them off. So that is why they would be off every time I woke back up. I told her what happened, who I saw, broke it down in detail. She was stunned, but she seemed to believe me. She wanted to make sure I knew who I was talking about, though. Grandma Sabre and Grandpa Albert died in the 70s, and I never knew them. Get to Mimi's, and a few hours go by of mingling and crying with family and whatnot, clearing out the hospice bed equipment. Just a sad, emotional day. I'll never forget it. We sat down for lunch, and my mom sits next to me and shows me one of my favorite pictures Mimi had hanging in the house. It's a picture of an old family reunion from back in the day on the ranch. Mimi and I used to look at that picture together many times, and she would tell me about each person in the photograph. I really enjoyed those moments. My mom asked me to point out Sabre and Albert, and I remember being almost offended. She knew I knew who they were, or at least I thought. Of course, I pointed them out. I even proceeded to walk her into the hallway to point them out in other pictures, just to be petty and distress my point of, yes, I know what they look like. Yes, it was them that I saw. She believed me. She told my grandmother as well. And though she believed me, I think she was simply preoccupied with what was going on. That was the second time I had seen an apparition, but the most 
intimate experience. Fast forward to 2009, we're sitting at my grandma's house having dinner and drinks with some family, my sister-in-law and two of my aunts and my two cousins. We're talking about Mimi and Papa. My mom brings up my story. It's always stuck with her and she brings it up from time to time. My grandma, however, caught on to one detail that time that she previously simply missed. Grandpa Albert is playing with his hair. When I say it, I immediately noticed her change in demeanor and she froze. I asked her if she was okay. She said, he was playing with his hair? I replied, yeah. She teared up and said, I know you've told me this story before, but that's particularly interesting. You know, he had this thing of always playing with his hair. Like that when he'd be sitting in his chair, reading the paper, having coffee. Always. Being nine years old and never having met them, obviously. Yeah, I did not know about that either. In fact, no one ever pointed out that detail to me before until now. Even though I've never doubted my experiences as me possibly imagining it, that even made it more real for me and was somewhat satisfying that, yes, that did happen. They did come to me that night. As for the figure in the kitchen, still no clue what it was or meant. I have my theories, but I don't entertain them too much. Thanks for reading. I'm sure there's plenty of typos, bad grammar here and there, but here it is. Sorry it's so long. I have plenty more and would love to share them with you on another episode of your podcast. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us. Um, it's, it's nice that um, some family members came to see you, even though you never met them, but it's still nice that they came to see you. Why is that? Why do you think someone who had never been, you, you'd never met before came and visited you like how would you feel if you were visited by uh your great-grandparents i would at least talk to them Mm -hmm. because they're family Mm -hmm. it's not like that previous story um from, from last episode where that shadow figure came in and they couldn't identify who it was or yeah. why it was there. Yeah. A family member is, is fine. It's, what what would you ask uh your uh great grandparents? Uh let's say it's 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 from my side. So what would you ask um you you met my my grandpa, but you were a baby. He met you, is what I should say. But you were there. I have a picture of you. It's on my Facebook page of you sitting on his lap at his favorite restaurant about a year before he passed away. But let's say you could ask him or my grandma, my mom's parents, anything. What would you ask them? I would ask them how how are they doing, and I would be polite and talk <laughs> with them. I'm, and any curious things, any questions come to mind that you really want to know the answer to? What it's like being a ghost. Mm-hmm. That that's that's just one of those things. It's like, do you ever have those times? Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, what is it like being a ghost? I think that's one of the most basic questions that doesn't get asked. You know, it's like, this is what we're all wondering. This is what we're all sitting here. You know, it's like why people listen to this show. You know, it's the, that's like the core question of what is it like to be a ghost? Yet when people are investigating, they're always asking things about 
and rightfully so. Their history, who they are, why are they there, things like that. But but the simple, what's it like over there? What you know? What are you? What are you seeing? Do you have any powers you you didn't have as a human? Um, you know things like that. But it, it, it's it's very difficult and has been very difficult to get clear answers on any of that. A lot of it's yes and no. But we're getting to a point with some of the technology that some people are using in investigating that it's bordering on the world of almost having a conversation, almost being able to get semi-clear answers from time to time, depending on the situation and where they're at and how much they want to speak. I would not be remotely surprised if at some point in our lives there is some sort of device out there that improves even far beyond what's what's in existence today where you could maybe ask that question. It's going to throw the world for a loop even more than the world's been thrown for a loop in the last couple of months. But if, if we could, if, if it can be proven, if it can be shown that look, somebody, something's coming through here and it's not a, a parlor trick. This is working. There's something going on. I think we may get to that point. And, and as a kid, when I was your age, I never thought that that would be remotely possible. Uh, hell, I didn't think it was remotely possible when I started doing this show six years ago uh, or seven years ago, whatever it was. Um, but in in talking with investigators and such on my other show, The Grave Talks, and, and the equipment that people use and the intelligent responses they're getting back, I, I think we're getting closer and closer to being able to ask that simple question and getting an answer back. And I think it may be a very simple answer. I think we're almost expecting it to be this long thought out answer that's like, you know, oh, and then you can do this and then you can do that. And I think it may just be like, it's just like being there, but you can't see me and it's more difficult to get my messages across to you. It may just be that simple. Yeah. But the question should be asked. Yeah. It's just like, it's just there's so, there's so many haunted places mm -hmm. and there's so, you can ask. It through Ouija boards, which I will never ever do. Yeah, you don't want to ask it through that, but but through a device almost that speaks to you. Yeah, and, and they have those things, and they're getting words and stuff, and sometimes phrases, and I think it's going to improve. So uh, it should be interesting, definitely to uh, to continue down the journey of doing the show and seeing uh, where it ends up by the time I end up retiring from the show which will basically be when I die. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I plan on doing this thing until I can't talk uh, or, or can't move or whatever. So you get me for a long time. And then you get Harper uh, after that. So you'll probably be in your like 60s or 70s or something when you when you take over completely and I'm dead. But the, the interesting thing about that is by that time, we'll have enough technology. Uh, and they're already working on this right now. Uh, so in the next few years, this will exist, uh, where you can type in things and it will really sound authentically like the person you're trying to emulate their voice of. So you could still have me as a co-host and you just type out what you want me to say and press play. And then I'll still be co-hosting <laughs> with you, but I'll be dead. Um, but, yeah. but you know me well enough to know what I'd be saying. So yeah. you'll be like, trust me, this is the shit he would have said. I'm, he even authorized me to speak for him for the rest of my life too, even though he's dead. So that'll be probably what happens. And 
I'll be on this show even when I'm dead, as uh, whatever Harper types in for the uh, computer to say. That will be actually be really fun. Or even better, what if, what if the te- the technology we're just talking about exists, where I could still co-host it as a ghost? Yeah, huh? or you could just we could just keep on doing the shows together, and mm-hmm. I can and I can still have the because I will keep. Honestly, I would keep the co- I would spread out computers all over the house, mm-hmm. so you can communicate through those. Like I would put one in the kitchen, I would put one in the living room. It, yeah, we would be almost like what if you, what if I could just communicate like through an app on Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, ask my dead dad where he put the key to the shed. Yeah, that'll be that'll be how that'll work. Never thought having a, a conversation about uh, your dead father could be so entertaining, right? <laughs> when I'm here and alive in front of you. Yeah. yeah. You'll listen back to this someday and go, wow. <laughs> I miss him. <laughs> and I'll be like, I miss you too. Um, so there you go. Uh, that could be very interesting. 855-853-4802 is our phone number. And Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost stories with us, let's go over to a caller. Hi, you are on the air. Hi, my name is Dorothy Byron, and my story involved growing up in a haunted house uh, in Chicago, Illinois, on the south side. Uh, I was 13 years old, and we lived in a two-bedroom townhouse. And it was a very hot summer night, and it was a three-bedroom unit, and we were at the end. We lived in the heart of the city. It was not uh, very busy because it was 1230 at night. And at the time, we did not have central air or window air conditioners. And the house that we lived in, we were the second occupants of the home. It was, I was an only child. It was my mom and dad and I. And my mom and dad said, let us sleep in your bedroom tonight. Because we had uh, two, I had two bedroom windows in my bedroom, one over the bed and one uh, at the uh, head of the bed. And so I said, okay. And mom and dad uh, were sleeping in my room. Of course, we had the windows open. And the house had did strange things already. Um, we moved in when I was 11 years old. So we've been in the house for two years. And uh, my dad was a firm believer that there was always a logical explanation for something. Uh, My mom and I would just look at him and shrug it off because we knew there was something going on in the house. And we had long periods living in that house where nothing would happen. And then all of a sudden the house would act up. Things would disappear. We'd hear footsteps when we were downstairs and there was no one upstairs. Um, and again, my dad would shrug it off going, there's something going on. It's wind or something like that. And at the time, uh, we had one fat calico cat that did nothing but sleep and eat. And she hated my dad, which was kind of funny. But anyway, um, so that night I was laying on my stomach and my head was facing, uh, I was laying on my left side and my head was facing the wall. Uh, and there was a window um, on the left wall, and there was a window literally 
on the side of the bed, on the right side of the bed. And um, my cat, Biddy was her name, Miss Biddy. She was, a, again, a big fat calico that did nothing but sleep and eat. And she always slept with me. And I felt her walking to the bottom of the bed. And it was so hot and humid in Chicago in the summer. And all of a sudden, I, she got by my knees, and I heard her start to hiss and spit that like cats do when they were frightened and Biddy didn't put much energy into anything other than eating again and sleeping and I didn't turn much of my body but I did say Biddy what's wrong and she started to howl and by that time I turned and looked and I saw my cat um, fur straight up howling and, and yowling like that and as I started to literally sit up something grabbed my arm my left arm by my wrist and I could feel the impression of a hand uh, and it was very cold and I felt five fingers encircle my wrist but yet there was no flesh but I felt a very cold impression of a hand and um, the cat was going nuts. And at the same time as something was grabbing my wrist, the cat was going crazy. The mattress, not the entire bed, not the house, um, the, but the mattress was shaking where I was going, Biddy, what's wrong? Because I, the bed was being shaken. And the cat in doing her howling, her howling was being ah, like that and of course I scream ah, and my mom comes running and the cat when my mom my dad made it to the bedroom doorway um, my mom switched on the light and I flipped over and and hit the bed the lamp that was on the nightstand and the cat we all stared at the cat and that cat looked like a cartoon that um, something out of an old-fashioned cartoon with all the fur standing up, the tail was standing up, her back was arched. I was screaming, and my mom and dad were looking like, what's, what's wrong, what's wrong? And the light comes on. This was all in within a matter of, it seemed like an eternity, but I realized later it was under a minute. And so the cat jumps off the bed. I'm screaming. My mom is yelling. My dad is yelling. That cat in that tiny house disappeared. We couldn't find her that night. She appeared the next morning. She was not an outdoor cat. Mom and Dad didn't want that. She was a total indoor cat. And I, of course, was hysterical. I tell my mom what happened. My mom believed me, thank God. But my mom also grew up in a family with a, a bunch of sisters and brothers. She was seven out of nine kids who believed in what we now call the paranormal and um she had things happen to her but anyway um i said mom i'm never sleeping mom and Aaron, i'm never sleeping in this room again and um whatever had come into the room i said to her later they came to see you mom not me but you and true to my word i never slept in that room ever ever again and that's my ghost story. I have many more, but I wanted to share 
I hope maybe one day uh, I, I might hear it on the show. Thank you for calling in and sharing that story with us. How would you handle that situation, Harper? I would instantly jump off the bed, smack anything that was hanging on to my wrist, even though I couldn't see anything, but yeah. I would still smack. <laughs> and I yeah. would instantly run out of the bedroom. Would you ever be able to wait? Would you ever be able to find a way to be calm enough? Or have enough peace to stay in that room again? No. Honestly, no. You'd always be afraid that something would come back, no matter what you did to, to show it's got not here anymore, I'm not having this. You could go into that room, but the idea of sleeping in it would be a, a bridge too far. Yeah. Like, what if the thing, um, um, like, grabbed my wrist mm -hmm. and, like, was dragging me out of the room. That would be terrifying. That would be terrifying. I would... The Honestly, I think the cat would be hissing and meowing and howling mm -hmm. as it was in the story. It's just, yeah. I would be terrified. The cat clearly sensed something. Yeah. I wonder if the cat saw more than what she saw. She could sense it, but I wonder if the cat sensed and saw something, too. You think animals can see ghosts? No. No? Well, maybe. I, it's an it's interesting of you to say no. Why do you say no? I didn't mean to say no. You didn't really think of the an, of of the question. You just gave an answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, then I asked that because there's so many stories where it seems that the animals are looking at things that we can't see. Yeah, and that's 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 odd. Yeah. It makes you wonder sometimes, are they seeing it or are they just are they just sensing it and reacting to that that sense that they're feeling? And let's fast back to like um having the cat not um be happy with the dad. Mm -hmm. So I don't it could be like one of those things. I know when animals see something that they don't know, they mm -hmm. are afraid. It's just, what if it was like something bad? Are you saying you're wondering why the cat doesn't like the dad? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that's an interesting thing. I mean, did she really uh, remind me, you were listening to the story too. Did she allude to the dad being bad or anything like that? No. I, I didn't think so. But it makes you you wonder, and maybe he was a fine man. And sometimes cats just don't like. I've had plenty of cats that didn't like me. Um, you know, probably for good reason, because I can be. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I guess to to some uh, they, they some would not like my personality, and you have a personality clash. And I think I had a personality clash with some cats <laughs> over the course of my life. Um, but I was a little boy when my cats didn't like me. And I would kind of be rambunctious with them sometimes and probably play too rough. And that's probably why my cats didn't like me. But as an adult, it's not often that I run a, across a, a house cat or a domesticated cat that's someone's pet that doesn't like me as a person now. I get why my cats when I was a kid didn't like me. But um, as an adult, pretty much anybody's pet for the most part, I'm good with and they're usually good with me. Um, you only really kind of run into that is if you have an animal that's been abused or something, and then they just don't like people in general. Um, and it's not a, a you thing. Only time I have cats that run away from me are like if they're strays and they're out in nature. I, I can't, I'm, I'm not a cat whisperer. 
they don't come running towards me. We have one that's down by the, the creek that lives there. And I've seen twice in a, a couple of months and he just runs away. But I think animals can sense things about pre- people's personalities and, uh, and what they're going through and what their intent is. So not that, not to say that the, the dad was bad or anything like that, but he might've been going through some, some tough things in his life and, and some struggles, whether it be at work or whatever it may be. And, and, and maybe the cat just sensed an uneasiness. And, and again, not to say that the dad was bad by any means, but more so just the cat sensed nervous energy. I don't like nervous energy. Uh, I think animals definitely pick up on that. And some are more sensitive than others. And I think some cats deal with it differently too, just like people do. You have some cats or dogs that when they sense nervous energy, they have been conditioned probably by their parents and probably by uh, the group that they grew up around to either come up and be a comfort to that person. Like that's their their lot in life. That's their role. They're there. They want to help. They want you to feel better. Like Sting. Yeah. They, they, they can sense that. And they're like, here, I'm here. I'm here. I got you. Just like, you know, a person, let me give you a hug. Let's talk about this. Their way of helping someone is, come here. Let me sit on your lap. You can pet me. I'll be nice and warm. Some are like, get the hell away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. Your nervous energy scares me. And I, I'm too nervous of what you could do to me. Even though you would never do anything to hurt the animal. The animal had some sort of experience where they were around an individual that had that nervous energy and it didn't end well. And that's why they run away. So it, people are the same way too. You know, people, it's all about how they've been conditioned and the experiences that they've had. If you have a bad experience with a human being with that sort of energy as a child, uh, when you're an adult, you're not, you're going to feel that on people and, and you're going to go, eh, not cool. I don't really want, you're going to push that type of person away. But if, if you have positive experiences with that and uh, nervous energy and, and you're able to see it as, okay, you know what? That's nervous energy, but, you know, maybe that person uh, just needs a hug. Maybe that person's not out and they're not out for negative in, intent at all. They're just nervous, you know. Um, you can also learn to, to be, as a human, uh, be compassionate to that person uh, in, in a way that helps them, too. It's all about intent. If someone has nervous energy and is ill intent, yeah, you don't want to be around them. But it's hard to identify that right up up front without knowing more about it. So thank you for sharing that story with us. We do greatly appreciate your calls and your letters. You can write them in at realghoststoriesonline.com or you can call at 855-853-4802 to share your real ghost story with us. You can follow me on Instagram at Tony Bruski. You can follow our podcast at Ghost Podcast. Uh, and uh, keep uh, keep tuned in. Uh, whether you're following us on social media or just on the podcast, we'll be telling you shortly more about Harper's new podcast in the, uh, the coming weeks. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Cautionary Tales with Harper. So be ready to press subscribe on that when that drops here towards the uh, late summer months. That is going to wrap up today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. Thank you guys for listening. If you listen with your kids for a spooky time, maybe you're on a campfire or something, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Glad that we could provide you with some ghost stories this weekend. Until next time, for Harper and all of us at Real Ghost Stories Online, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening. Thank you for support. <laughs>